0: You know um uh thank you for all of you served
1: uh this this Thanksgiving. It was such a blessing to see our church come together and 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 really bring some help to people. And so I want to thank you for your your willingness to serve. You know, I this week's been an interesting week for me because we had uh, two family funerals this week. And um it was quite busy. I went home and uh and it was it was good. We're, you know, we're 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 my family's in this season where a lot of our uh, the generation that shaped us are going to heaven, and so these were a little bit expected, but you know it's always unexpected, but um, a little bit. But um, but I went home and I I I just remembered some things. You know, growing up, I grew up on the south side of Oklahoma City. And kind of in an inner city urban area, though I went to more, we, our church revolved around kind of the Capitol Hill area, if you're familiar with Oklahoma City. <clears throat> but I saw some amazing testimonies growing up, like Jerry Spence. Jerry Spence got saved. He was a bouncer at the Cat Blue 2. You know that place? Good. You probably. I'm glad you don't. Because um, that's really not a place you ought to go, at the Cat Baloo 2. I, I think it, it's... It may have changed names now, but it wasn't the best of establishments in South Oklahoma City. And Jerry was the bouncer there. So he was a bad dude in the neighborhood. And he got saved. And it was so cool to see this radical transformation. He had this long ponytail that went about about mid-back. And, man, he was a cool dude. And to see him get saved was absolutely cool. Then uh, Leroy and Vidal got saved. I saw Vidal. And his whole family was on the row in front of me on Friday at this service, and it was so cool to see Vidal. Um, Vidal and Leroy, they were, uh, they were neighborhood kids, and, and I remember when they came to Christ, and man, you talk about, they were headed for a life of gang life in South Oklahoma City, if you're, uh, there's a lot of uh, reputations there. And. And in fact, uh, their brother was kind of the head guy in that group. And, uh, and we kept having these cars stolen at our church, and, uh, which was kind of a bummer when you visit church and your car gets stolen. That's kind of a bad day, isn't it? And, um, and so my brother, who was the youth minister at the time, goes to Leroy and Vidal's brother and said, hey, man, would you help us out? Would you put the word out in the neighborhood not to steal cars from the church? And so we did and no one got their car stolen for quite a while. It was pretty cool. And uh, but to see Leroy and, and Vidal the row of Vidal's family his grandkids were there. And I was like, dude, I didn't even think you'd make it to adulthood, much less you have grandkids. And it was just cool to see these testimonies. And and I've seen some really cool testimonies in in as I've you know those Paul type testimonies. You remember Paul in the Bible, Saul He had that crazy testimony. He was was the one that uh, was credited to the first murder of a Christian. Uh, The church had just started, Acts 7. Stephen was a deacon in the church. We have our deacons here today that are helping us serve Lord's Supper today. And uh, actually, they're here every Sunday. I'm thankful for you deacons. Thank you, guys. Um, But uh, they're dressed up today. Um, But the first deacon was martyred because of Saul. And then Acts 9 tells the story, Ananias. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet Ananias. Because that dude, oh my goodness, he was sitting with the Lord and God says, hey, Ananias, I need you to go to this street over here because Saul's there. I need you to tell him about me. Ananias is like, "Lord, Lord, don't you know who Saul is? That's what Acts 9 says. Lord, don't you know? Let me inform you, God, who Saul is. You want me to go to him? And I want to meet Ananias in heaven because that dude did it. He went to see Saul and walked in like a champ and said, Saul, let me tell you about Jesus. And you know the story. Saul got saved. And people were like, what a testimony. You know, I grew up in church. I was saved right before my eighth birthday. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Not too much happened. I was a little ornery. This I saw this lady on. She didn't recognize me because I had a gray beard. I shaved my beard. Anybody notice? My wife noticed. That's what really counts. So that was exciting. Um, but um, but I had this gray beard on Friday, and she was like, "Chris Wall, are you you you're like supposed to be this tall?" And I was like, "She goes, you are Henri." I go, I, "I grew up. I'm a grandfather now. I'm married to a grandma." And. Uh, so it was really weird had to see me as an adult. But, but, you know, though I was a little ornery, I, I, not, I mean, honestly, going from save, lost to saved as an almost eight-year-old, the outside didn't change very much. I've always thought, man, I wish I had a cool testimony. Have you ever thought that? I wish I had a Saul-like testimony. I want you to know something. Every one of us, have absolutely phenomenal testimonies. If you know Christ as your savior, whether you came to Christ like a Jerry Spence from a bouncer at the toughest bar in South Oklahoma City, or Leroy and Vidal out of a gang-infested path, or like me, pretty good kid. My mom was the church librarian Nine months before I was born, I was in church, right? I mean, one time I got invited to go speak to the Oklahoma Church Librarian Conference. That's a thing. I used my quiet voice the whole time. It was awesome. Uh, Thanks for laughing. I used that joke at that meeting, and nobody laughed, so I just kept going. It wasn't very funny to them. But, um, but, you know, I, I grew up a pretty good kid but I needed Jesus just the same. Now this morning, we're going we're to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but I want us to prepare for it. I want us to think about it um, like from a biblical perspective. I don't want us just to go through the motions. I want you to consider your testimony, how amazing your testimony is. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to see this. And let's stand together. And we're going to, and keep your finger here. I'm going to look, we're going to look at some scriptures today. But, but I want us to let this passage kind of hit our hearts today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Let's look at this. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Verse 17, here's some more pages. I'm going to wait just a second. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you may be seated. Now let's look at this passage. Let's, let's, let's let the Lord just prepare us a little bit today. It says, therefore, um, and time the word therefore is in your Bible, you need to ask yourself, what is it therefore, right? Um, If anyone is in Christ, he says, the new creation has come. So so let's remember that that the moment that Jesus saved you, the moment you came to Christ, what God did, regardless of where you were, regardless if you were like a bouncer at the worst bar ever, or a little uh, kid, pretty good kid, what happened is a new creation came. God made you new. God changed your life. Because even, the, you know, you could argue that maybe the greatest miracle, if you're going to just compare, which we're not supposed to, uh, Jerry Spence, the bouncer at the bar, or Chris Wall, the, the good little kid at church, which was the greater miracle? It might have been harder for Chris Wall, the good kid, to realize that he needed a savior. That that took a work of God because how many people go through life going, I'm pretty good. Look at what I did. Look at all my good stuff that I did. Look, we we felt all these meals on Thanksgiving. Look at my stuff. But, But see, all of us stand in need of God doing a work that is supernatural in our lives. So I want you to know when you were saved, that was an absolute phenomenal work of God. And I don't want you to lose sight of that. Look at what it says. Therefore, any, if anyone is in Christ, not just the really bad people, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And so we gotta really recognize that, that none of our goodness Like in the presence of of a holy God, you realize God is holy. I don't even have a way to show you what that looks like. We we don't even have a concept of that as human beings because none of us have ever seen holiness. In fact, if God showed up in his holiness right here in this room uh, physically, we would not walk out of here alive purely because of the glory of God. That's what would destroy us. That's mind-boggling. And we know this because Moses said, God, I want to see your holiness. He's like, you can't, Moses. So what did God do? God hid him, barely passed by him in his glory, and his face was literally glowing. So, so let's recognize that God is holy and big. And you know what God did the moment he saved you, the moment he came into your life, he saved you. Look at what the verse says. It says, the old is is gone. The old is gone. The new is here. Verse 18, all this is from God. It's not from you. It's not from your works. It's not your efforts. You you can't work hard enough to earn God's love. Who did it come from? It come from God who, look at what he says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. What did God do? It was through Christ, what he did on the cross, he reconciled us. What does that mean? He made us right. God made us right. You know, uh, it's funny. I'll do this sometimes in meetings. Uh, I've done this a couple of times. Uh, I've had a meeting and I've been leading and, and, and somebody walked in Late. And, uh, and this happened, happened a couple of times. And they've walked in late. And I said, oh man, so glad you're here. We've just gone around the circle and shared the worst thing that we've ever done. Okay, your turn. And they've looked at me like, one guy was like, okay, well, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, I was just kidding. I was joking. I don't want to hear the worst thing you've ever done. But you know what? If we put on the screen the worst thing I've ever done, I would feel so much shame. If we put on the screen today the worst thing each one of us have ever done, oh my goodness, we'd feel, we, you'd be so ashamed. And see, God knew the worst thing I've ever done. You know what God did? He made me right. He made me right. He reconciled me. And this is what this verse says, that that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And this morning, what what I pray that we don't miss is what Christ did to our shame. He took our shame away. You see, I don't hold that shame anymore. Why? Because Jesus took it. He made me right. And that's what happened when salvation impacted me. And then look at what goes on in verse 18. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God God gave us this ministry to go to the world and say, hey, look, there's reconciliation in the world. There's a, there's, there's a gift called salvation available to you. This is why we, we do well to give out all these meals, uh, but, we, but we point people to Christ. We, we speak up about Christ. It's why the mission center is so very good that we are like serving the Lord in this part of our, serving people in this part of our community. But if we just serve people food without sitting them down and saying, let us tell you about Jesus, we would drop the ball massively. Because God has given us not just a ministry to, not a ministry to feed people. That's not our ministry He's given us. That's a vehicle that we use. But He's given us the ministry of reconciliation to help people understand that Jesus came and died. And, and notice what this verse goes on. It says, that, that, that God, verse 19, notice this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Notice this. It keeps pointing back to Christ. That God was making the world right. God was reconciling the whole world. God had the whole world in his mind. He had had all the Gentiles in mind too. That's you and I. Most of us, I I bet few of us are Jewish in the room or watching online. Most of us are Gentiles. God had us in mind. He was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Notice this. Not counting people's sins against them aren't you grateful for that because i know the shame in my life and when jesus touched me oh my goodness he doesn't count my sins against me that's the same with you This morning, I I want you to think about the shameful things in your life. You might go, that's weird. No, no, I think that's important today. Because Jesus took that shame on himself. Holy God took that shame on himself. You know, in our church, if you read our bylaws, we have two ordinances. That's a word we say a lot. And you may go, I recognize the word ordinance. But but I don't know when, when's the last time you really defined it? If I said define ordinance, you might go, oh, it's that thing we do at our church. But we have two ordinances. and The word ordinance basically means command. We have two things that, our, that our, our church must do. It's actually in my, my job description as your pastor to lead us through the ordinances, the Lord's Supper. It's in my job description, written on paper. And, and, and the reason that this is such a big deal is because God has commanded us to take the Lord's Supper. He's commanded us in baptism. These are two ordinances now, a lot of times when it comes to these two issues or these two practices, let me say, that a lot of, some, some churches attach the word sacrament to it. That may be a word you've heard before. It's a sacrament. Now, The word sacrament is, what that implies, we don't use that word because the word sacrament implies this is a means of grace. This is a way that you can receive grace from God. But when it comes to the way we receive grace, we believe the Bible is very clear that we receive the grace of God. Like 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There was a moment in my life as an as a almost eight-year-old boy that, that God saved me and I received mercy. And now I have a relationship with God. And, and, and so how I received that grace was by faith, not by some work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. it is by grace that you're saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one would boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Now, sacrament is a way, some people, some churches teach that When you take the Lord's Supper, you're receiving the grace of God. When you're baptized, that's a moment of salvation, and that's not what the Bible says. We're saved by faith. Here's what our Baptist faith and message says, if you want to think about it doctrinally. I think it's on the screen for you. It says, Article 7 of the Baptist faith and message says, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby the members of the church, through the partaking of bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. It says about baptism, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's an act of obedience, notice this, symbolic of the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in the newness of life in Christ. Now, what you see about baptism and Lord's Supper—they are acts of obedience. This is something you see, and I want us to understand this. That in our church, we baptized, we saw seventy-three people baptized this past year, and that's an act of obedience. I mean, our baptistry is over on the side right now because we've got London up here, but uh, but but it's it's an act of obedience. The Lord's Supper. Is an act of obedience. Baptism pictures this, hey, I'm gonna follow through in baptism because Jesus saved my soul. And so because he did that, I wanna let the world know out of obedience to God that, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. If you've not been baptized, look, let's go. It's, it's time. I mean, in just a couple of weeks, their grandson is gonna be baptized in, uh, in December when he gets back from Texas Tech from, from his break. And, and And you know when... Baptism is this step of obedience. The Lord's Supper is is the same way. The the Lord's Supper is an act of obedience. Jesus said in Luke 22 that you are to remember what I did on the cross. You're to remember how Jesus saved you. When your life was transformed by Christ, you're to remember the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, it's an act of obedience. Now, secondly, about the Lord's Supper and baptism, the Lord's Supper and baptism are pictures of deliverance. It's a picture of how Jesus delivered us. And so let's ask some questions. Let's answer some questions here real quickly. Um, Because the first question is this, should unbelievers be allowed to take the Lord's Supper? If you're an unbeliever in the room, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've not followed Him in obedience right now and trusted him and followed in baptism? Should unbelievers take the Lord's Supper? Um, uh, um, no, you shouldn't. We, and if you're here today and you're considering Christ or you're watching online and you're considering Christ, I hope you watch us. Because this is, this is, these are acts of worship meant for believers to participate in. Because when you're baptized, you're telling the world, My sins have been washed away. I'm forgiven. My old life died and I'm raised to walk a new life. When you take the Lord's Supper, you're remembering, Jesus, you gave your body for me. I take it inside my body as as an act of obedience to remember that you saved me. And so it's really, it's an act of worship meant for believers. And so... How often should the Lord's Supper be taken? This is a question I often get because, you know, in our church, we've had a lot of people that have come that have not been Baptist before and and maybe they come from a tradition where they take the Lord's Supper every week. Is Is that wrong to take the Lord's Supper every week? No, no. In our church, we, just have, we have a practice that we, we take it six times a year and, 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 and that's something we have agreed to do. The Bible doesn't dictate how often it should be taken. It dictates that when you take it, do this in remembrance of me. And, and this is just how our church embraces this discipline and this calling to take the Lord's Supper. Now, um, Here's here's an important question that I often get. Is the bread and juice actually the body and blood of Christ? Now, Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus said to his disciples, This is my body given to you. This is my blood given for you. So there's a lot of people that believe that, okay, this actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. And so we should drink all of it. That's why you hear some people say, if you're going to drink this, drink all of it. Don't waste the blood of Christ or or, eat all of it. This is the body of Christ. Don't waste it. Now, you got to understand, like, we, we do take the Bible literally, but right here, Jesus, I, I don't believe, is saying this is literally becoming my blood and literally becoming my body. This was actually a criticism all through history of believers. They said, oh, you guys are cannibalists because you're drinking blood and eating flesh. And it was actually an historic criticism of Christians. But, but, but I think Jesus is, is like, like, he often used a metaphor. Like he said, uh, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? If your, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Does that mean we're to make ourselves blind and cut off our right hands? No. Jesus is talking about the seriousness of it. I think he's talking in Luke 22 about the seriousness of it. You know, there's a, there's a doctrine, and this is a, it's a big theological word, transubstantiation. This is a belief that some churches have that when the bread and wine are blessed by a priest, that turns into the real body and real blood of Christ. That's not where we stand as a church. Uh, but there's many churches that that's what they believe about the Lord's Supper. There's another big theological word, consubstantiation, that, that's the idea that Jesus is somehow mystically present in the bread and the blood. Where we are as a body, as a church, is we believe that that the Lord's Supper is a, is a symbolic act where, where by taking the Lord's Supper, we memorialize the death of Christ and we remember how that changed us. And that's where we are as a body. There's another question I think is important to wrestle with and it's this, should visitors be excluded? Not everybody in the room is a member. I mean, Chad talked about like, hey, we're voting on our budget, that's for members. But not everybody in the room are members of our church. I want you to know we practice what we call open slash closed communion. We are open to believers everywhere. There are some churches that they believe that only the members of that congregation that have, that are, that identify just with, we are members here, only members of that body could take it. They are closed communion. Uh, and, or uh, I'll, I'll just leave it there, closed community. You can go deep into the weeds here. But, um, but we are open-closed, meaning we are open to all believers everywhere who identify us with Christ and that no Christ is their Savior. They've been baptized by, by Christ and, and by an inner church. And man, you are welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. But we are closed to non-believers. Now, when it comes to the Lord's Supper... There's another question. What about modes of baptism? I've met people that, we'll have people go through our membership class and say, well, I was sprinkled as a baby. So infant baptism. Well, um, we believe that baptism should be believer's baptism. Now, a ba- like Conley, my granddaughter. Have I told you had a granddaughter? She's awesome. So beautiful. Doesn't look a thing like me and it's an answer to prayer to everybody. But... Conley, I can't choose for her. Eric and Stephanie are the other side of the grandparents sitting over here, and they we can't choose for her. So as a, as a my view, when a when someone is like baptizes a baby, I don't know that it's terrible. We don't practice it here. We do family dedication, but but I see that more as a one day I hope that this child grows up and follows Jesus. But I think it would be important if you were baptized as an infant that you experience believer's baptism because that's what I think the scriptures point to is baptism after you've trusted Christ as your savior. Now, when it comes to pouring or sprinkled, we've had different questions about that. You know, with baptism, uh, I think the word baptized actually means go under. It means immerse. So we do Take the Scriptures to mean, look, let's go under the water as a picture. I think that's the most accurate biblical description. So we push ourselves as a church. And and this makes us uncomfortable sometimes because we say all the time, "Let's, let's let the Bible speak. Let's let the Bible change our mind. If we come up with a practice that's contrary to Scripture, let's let the Bible Change, we're going to change our practices to line up with the scriptures. If we have a, a belief that goes against the Bible, let's line up with what the Bible says. That's pretty important. And so we don't baptize infants. We think baptism needs to go all the way under, all in. I think that's important. I think it's important to have your baptism on the right side of your salvation, that you're to be baptized after salvation. So the Lord's Supper. There's a third thing about the Lord's Supper that I just want us to process for just a minute, and then, Josh, I want y'all to come up. The Lord's Supper and baptism, it paints a picture of the past, present, and future. Both of these ordinances, both of these commands should paint a picture of your past. You should be able to point to, Jesus, you saved me. Jesus, I trust you. Lord, thank you for washing my sins away. It should paint a picture of your present right now. Lord, I need you today. Lord, I'm looking to you today. Because you know what the forgiveness of Christ moves me to do? Not to, I mean, the fact that God doesn't count my sins against me, that is so big and so massive. That doesn't move me to go, well, cool. I'll go do whatever I want. I'll go just, I can do whatever. My sins aren't counted against me. Woohoo! No. Jeremiah talks about how sin is weary. God's people got into sin, and it says they were wearied by their sin. You know, the grace of God doesn't move me to to disobey the Lord. It moves me to honor the Lord. I mean, goodness, I've seen this in my kids. And Robin and I spend our lives with our raising our kids. They're all out of our house now, which is weird. But, you know, we've been talking to them about we tried to bless them. We tried to give good things to them and honor them. We worked, made them work, and we had some clear rules and guidelines and expectations and prayers and wrestling. But you know what I found with my own children? When we were good to them and blessed them, they love us. They're grateful. And that's what God's done for me. Lord, you've saved me. Forgive me. I want to honor you. And, and that's why I pray that in this moment, we get right with the Lord. You know, that's, there's an important moment for the present that God is drawing your heart today to look to Him, to remember the sacrifice that He made. And, and it also speaks to the future. I went to two family funerals this week. These are men that I walked with, that I saw, that I knew, I knew them. They weren't perfect. You know, my side of the family was a a little rougher than Robin's. And, but you know what about these men? They're in heaven right now. Not because they were so great, they were forgiven. And man, I'm grateful that I got to watch these men. One of them, I mean, Jim, he helped your retirement. He was a lobbyist for the fire department. He was a captain, retired as a captain. And, and I watched him, he was a man. You ever been around a fireman? Well, Those some men, they throw stuff around and, And I watched men love Jesus That's cool. But, But baptism and the Lord's Supper speak to our future, that heaven is real, that Jesus came to rescue us. If you follow 2 Corinthians 5, it keeps going. And it ends in verse 21 that says that God made him who knew no sin, to be sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. So I do want us to think today about our shame. The things that, that the times that we just royally failed. Because all of us have. And you see, when, 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 In just a second, you're going to go get these elements. In fact, I want our deacons to go there now. Deacons, if you'll head to your stations. Now, if you're not a believer, I want you to watch. Okay, would you just respectfully, we're not going to judge you, we're not going to, I just want you to watch. But if you know Christ is your Savior, and you've been radically changed, you've been changed by the grace of God, I want you to remember your shame as you hold those elements in your hand. And I want you to think about this, that those symbols, that picture that you're holding in your hand is what happened in the history of the world to make sure your shame is not counted against So right now, I want us to just go all over the room. There's six places. One, two, three, four, five, six. Let's go get those and just hold on to them. Let's do it right now. Josh, lead us. His So I want you to look at them. And you know, I know it's strange to go, let's consider our shame. But I want you to recognize the power of what happened on the cross. That God doesn't count your sins against you. That's what Jesus did. And I want you to just hear some verses. I just wanna read these. Isaiah 53, five and six says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Consider Romans five, six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ, died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Consider Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. reconciliation. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God he was put to death in the body but made alive by the spirit. You know when Jesus was with his disciples, he knew he was going to the cross. And Luke 22 talks about he took bread and gave thanks. Have you thought about how massive that is? That, 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 that Jesus, like we just read in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You know, folks, when we get to heaven and see holiness for the first time, we're going to be like, whoa, how can this be? How could a holy, that, that's the greatest miracle. in eternity that Holy God would become sin for you and me. And it blows my mind that Jesus knew what he was about to do. He gave thanks. He gave thanks to die for your sin. Why? Because he loves you. And that's why I want you to see how much he loves you. How he loves you. Would you take that bread? Because Jesus gave thanks. Let's do that right now. Lord Jesus, how can we say thanks? for all that you've done for us how can we that that seems so trite when I think about the shame that that I have in my story and most of my shame happened after I knew you Lord I knew better and yet you still chose not to count my sin against me Thank you for taking my shame. Thank you for giving your body on the cross. And today we remember. In Jesus name, amen, would you take this and eat it? You know, in the same way, he gave thanks for his blood. You know, I, I. I don't think we could have figured out on our own that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. You know what that's called? That's called revelation. That's not something I would have figured out on my own. But God revealed, hey, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And it can't be my blood, my blood's not worthy. Your blood's not worthy. Nobody's blood is worthy. But Jesus came. And he shed his blood for you. And he gave thanks for you. And he loves you. Let's give thanks, Lord. We give you thanks today. sin. became sin for us so that we could be righteous. Lord, so often I don't feel righteous. But I'm thankful it's not about my feelings. It's about what you did. It's about the facts that you went to the cross, that you died and you rose from the dead, and your Holy Spirit is moving right now in this room place among us. Thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus.